0: Verses, uh, we're going to read today verses 54 through 84. And as you're turning there, I, I don't think it's any accident uh, that God has us going through this book. So we are, we are reading through Acts, which is a history of the early church, uh, right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in it, we see Jesus engage the world through his early followers. And I don't think it's any accident that we're studying this book at a time when we, too, need to learn how to engage the world in Jesus's name. Uh, Particularly at a time, uh, not only cultural and social turmoil within our country, we have the race tensions, we have sexual identity tensions. All of the things that are happening politically and culturally in our country desperately needs the good news of Jesus. Uh, On top of that, of course, we have the pandemic as well, which causes many to be fearful and afraid and hopeless again. Our our world, our country, our city needs the good news of Jesus. And so we're going through this book, learning how to engage the world uh, in Jesus's name. And two weeks ago, uh, when we were in the book last, when I was here last, we met a man named Stephen Uh, and Stephen is on trial for his life. He is being accused of blaspheming God, of insulting God, because he has spoken against God's law and God's temple, or supposedly so. And in Judaism, that's a death sentence. And so, Jesus, uh, so Stephen is defending himself before the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. Uh, and what we saw Stephen tell his accusers just a couple of weeks ago was basically this. You're the ones who are guilty. You're the ones who have missed God. You're the ones who are blaspheming him. You who, who should uphold God's law are actually the ones who are neglecting it. And you have not only missed his Messiah, his Savior, but you actually killed him. As you can imagine, that, uh, that did not make Stephen's audience very happy. And so uh, we're going to pick up the story now and see what happens next. Acts chapter seven, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen And made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, those who were scattered went about proclaiming the good news of the word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of his word. Amen. I want to tell you about Miriamu. Miriamu lives in Nepal. And in Nepal, it is illegal to convert to Christianity. And Miriamu became a Christian in 2014. But when it became too difficult for her to travel to uh, a church for worship, she decided to start one in her own home. And her neighbors, who are not Christians uh, were greatly annoyed by this. They were alarmed. And so one Saturday, a neighbor approached Miriamu and told her that her house, where the church was meeting, Miriamu's house, was actually on her neighbor's property. And when Miriamu disagreed, the woman picked up a stone and threw it at her head. And she continued to stone Miriamu. And as she stoned her, she threw the stone, she kept shouting... We must chase the Christians from this place. They are destroying our religious environments. Miriam was taken to the hospital, suffering from deep gashes on her face and neck, along with internal bleeding. She still finds it difficult to speak, wrote a Christian worker who was helping her. But she wants to forgive her neighbor, who she believes will come to know Jesus one day. Astounding. You may, be, you may remember, uh, if you were here then, the story of Wang Yi uh, and Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China. Uh, we prayed for uh, Wang Yi and for his church in the December of 2018 uh, because Pastor Wang and 200 of his members were arrested. Uh, so Pastor, his wife, and 200 members of the church were arrested Uh, And after a year of imprisonment uh, in December of 2019, uh, Wang Yi was finally sentenced to nine years in prison uh, for subverting the state and illegal business operations, false, uh, false accusations. Before he was arrested, Yi prepared uh, a statement uh, that was to be read uh, and disseminated publicly should he be detained longer than 48 hours. I want to read you some of the excerpts from that statement. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully Willing to submit to God's plans, for His plans are always benevolent and good. Mind you, he's been falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned uh, for over a year before receiving a sentence of nine years. I will joyfully submit to God's plan if this is if this is what God will use to draw people to Jesus, then I'll joyfully submit. He goes on. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. I hope that God uses my loss of personal freedom to speak to my captors of a freedom that they cannot restrain. Astounding. I read those in, uh those stories, and they just seem strange. These people seem superhuman. I'm not sure that uh, that I would think and speak the same if I were in those if they were in their shoes. But it's clear that people like Wang Yi and Miriamu and Stephen. Are different. They see differently. They speak differently. They respond to unjust treatment and suffering differently. They don't see themselves as victims, but as victors. How does that happen? And if this morning you're a believer in Jesus, what would it take for you to speak That way, to think that way, to feel that way. Let's take a look at Stephen Uh, and see what Stephen can teach us about uh, this different way of thinking and speaking, this different kind of story, because that's what this is. Stephen is living in a different story. He has a different motive. He has different goals. He has different dreams. He is he is turning away from the narrative and the story that we so often uh, cling to and he is inhabiting a different story. He's actually reenacting Jesus's story. If you compare Stephen's death with Jesus's death, there are strong parallels. Jesus, uh, Stephen is simply following in Jesus's footsteps. How? Uh, one, one Scottish preacher uh, put it this way. This is normal Christianity. I wonder uh, when I say that phrase, "normal Christianity," what, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Is it Stephen? Is it is it being willing to endure such difficult things so that the name of Jesus is glorified? This is normal Christianity. How does this become normal? How does this become normal for us? How does Stephen get here? Well, Luke tells us. At the beginning of Stephen's story in Acts chapter six, verse five, and here at the end of Stephen's story in Acts seven, verse fifty five, that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, every believer, every person who names the name of Jesus has the Holy Spirit. But Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit and it enables him uh, to think and to speak differently. So here are three ways that I believe the Holy Spirit enables Stephen to follow Jesus. The first way is that the Spirit shows us Jesus. Stephen had a vision of Jesus. Uh, We have the same. The Spirit shows us Jesus. The Spirit helps us model Jesus. And then the Spirit frees us to follow God's unexpected plan. First, the Spirit shows us Jesus I want you to try to cast your imagination back to this moment and imagine the scene surrounding Stephen. It's absolute pandemonium. Do you you read how they are responding to Stephen? They're full of anger. They're they're so angry. They're grinding their teeth at Stephen. And in a minute, uh, like toddlers throwing a temper tantrum, they're going to they're going to plug their ears and yell and rush at Stephen and they're going to throw him out of the city and they're going to murder him. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of that, we're told in verse 55 that Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. And what it enables Stephen to do is look beyond this boiling sea, this angry mob. He's able to look beyond up to heaven. And what does he see? He sees the glory of God. He sees the throne room. God's majesty. And standing there at the right hand of God's throne, he sees Jesus. Now, why does that matter? We need to ask the question, first of all, why is Jesus standing? When we talked back in Acts chapter one and other places in the scriptures, we talk about Jesus sitting. Uh, And if you are familiar with the Apostles Creed, uh, That also talks about Jesus seated at God's right hand. And the the reason Jesus being seated is important is because it tells us that his work is finished. Jesus sits down at the right hand, the power of authority, the the preferential hand. He sits down because his work is done. He has completed the, the saving work that God sent him to do. So why in the world here is Jesus standing? Why does Stephen see Jesus standing? And the reason is because Jesus is standing as Stephen's advocate. His helper. Uh, we, would, we would use the phrase defense attorney. You see, all around Stephen, there's the prosecution. There are the, there are the voices falsely accusing, attacking Stephen. But Stephen... Looks into heaven as as the earthly court condemns Stephen to death. Stephen looks to the heavenly court. And sees there the judge standing in his defense. As if to say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Stephen is able to look beyond The cacophony of voices that are calling for his death and see Jesus, as it were, smiling down upon him. So as the earthly mob rages, the only judge that matters smiles upon him. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the same is true of you. Now, why does that matter? Students, it matters because all of the followers and likes and friends, they don't have the last word. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, they don't have the last word. Ladies, your body image doesn't have the last word. Moms, other moms don't have the last word. Men, your achievements don't have the last word, nor do your failures. Jesus has the last word. He is your defense attorney. When every other voice accuses you, Jesus stands for you. And that is a beautifully freeing thing. And so I would ask, first and foremost, it's maybe the most important question of the passage. Do you know that Jesus? Do you have Jesus in your corner standing for you, speaking on your behalf? I invite you to him. So the spirit shows Stephen, Jesus, and the spirit shows us the same. And then we see that the Spirit helps us model Jesus. As soon as Stephen says what he says, that he can see the Son of Man standing at the right hand, this mob loses its mind, as mobs are wont to do. And they rush at Stephen, and they cast him out of the city, city, and they begin stoning him, throwing large stones down on top of him to kill him. And that's as absolutely awful as it sounds. I try to imagine what that would be like. As the rocks begin to fly, you put your hands up, kind of that natural self-defense posture so that the, maybe the first stone snaps your radius and ulna and your forearm is broken. And then you, you turn to cradle your arm and the next stone crunches your shoulder joint and then another one strikes you in the head, and you're blinded from the pain, but you can feel the, the warmth of the blood running down your face. I wonder, what, what would be your response in the midst of that her, horrific suffering? What would you say? What would you think? Well, in the midst of all that, Stephen somehow is able to model... Jesus, Stephen actually speaks words that sound very similar to Jesus's words when he was on the cross. The first way that Stephen models Jesus is a sense of peace. And I I, I struggle. I don't know if that's quite the the right word for it, since I don't mean a a kind of a, a peaceful, easy feeling. All is calm. All is bright. Now, that's that's not the peace that Stephen feels. It's not the peace that Jesus felt. But Jesus on the cross before he died said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And here Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And so I think the, the peace, if that's the word for it, that Stephen f- feels is that Jesus has him. That despite of what's going on around him, he is secure. He is safe in the firm grip of Jesus. I don't know what trials you're undergoing. I don't imagine they're as horrific as this. But they, they probably feel no less real to you. Maybe it's those voices of accusation. The real or imagined, uh, maybe you feel not the weight of real rocks, but as if something heavy were sitting on your chest. You need to hear what Stephen, you need to see what Stephen saw uh, and rest in what Stephen rested on. You need to know that Jesus has you firm in his grip, that whatever else is swirling around you. Jesus has you secure. Not only does Stephen model Jesus' peace, but then he also models Jesus' forgiveness. Just before he dies, Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Very similar to what Jesus says on the cross is, They gamble for his clothes while his naked, bleeding body just is suspended in air a few feet above them. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So Stephen is able to ask Jesus to forgive them. Now, is that what you'd be thinking? As you've been brought to your knees by the weight of heavy stones pounding your body? Would those be your last words? I'm... I'm not sure they'd be mine. I might throw some rocks back. I might cry out for God to punish them, to, for vengeance, make them pay. But Stephen, when well, he sees Jesus at the throne, he knows Jesus is standing for him. So he knows that death does not have the last word. That there is life on the other side of this death. And he knows that he is just as unworthy a sinner as his attackers. And so he knows that he has received grace from Jesus. He can ask for the same for his enemies. Rather than clamoring for vengeance, Stephen asked Jesus to forgive those who attack him and Luke tells us that in that frame of mind Stephen falls asleep a beautifully serene picture a beautifully serene depiction of a very gruesome death the spirit helps us model Jesus and then finally the spirit frees us to follow God's unexpected plan you know I don't don't know if Stephen got up that morning saying All right. Like, like this was on his agenda today. I'm going to be stoned by an angry mob, right? This was not, this probably was not Stephen's plan. And if we were going to script this story, if we were going to write the story of the, the progress of the news about Jesus into the world, we probably wouldn't write it this way. Because Stephen is an MVP. I mean, all of chapter seven was this amazing sermon that Steve, like his biblical knowledge is fantastic his delivery was huge. Uh, he's a servant. This guy's gifted. He's got courage. Like, we need to keep Stephen in reserve. You know, like, we need to, we need to use Stephen strategically. We're not going to put him in front of the angry mob. We're going to send him where he's not going to die. Right? Uh, so, why would God allow this to happen to someone like Stephen? To answer that, I want to go back. I want to go back first to Acts chapter 1. We looked at it several weeks ago, but I want us to look at Jesus. We need to be reminded of Jesus's mission strategy that he gives in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this, but you, this is Jesus talking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And then... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus gives this three stage mission and phase one. Jerusalem, that's where we are, right? Acts chapter two through Acts chapter seven, we're in Jerusalem. But now notice what happens. Look at Acts chapter eight, verse one. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Where? Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What was the second phase of the mission? Judea and Samaria. Jesus uses the death of Stephen to propel the church into the next phase of its mission. Now, that's, that's not how we think, right, in modern American evangelicalism, right? This, this, idea, this idea of death bringing life, right, we, we run the opposite direction. We want power. We want influence. We want acceptance. And so the way of the cross uh, is like cancer to us. We, we want to avoid it. We want to go the opposite directions. We do not want that. But that's precisely what God uses to move the church outward. And what did we read in verse four? Those who were scattered went about proclaiming the good news of the word. So as they went, they didn't keep quiet. They didn't hide in caves and tunnels. As they were scattered, they went about telling other people about Jesus. So in a very unexpected twist, those who thought they were stamping out Christianity, God's movement, were actually propelling its growth forward. That's how God works. We want to avoid weakness in death, but God actually uses those things to grow his church. Tertullian, a believer in the second century, a time of intense persecution, said this. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Wow. How different is that than the way that we typically think? So one more thing I want us to see, and it's, uh, it's how Jesus answers Stephen's prayer. What did, what did Stephen ask for? He said, don't hold the sin against them. I don't know if you noticed, but there's someone in the crowd actually overseeing this execution. And his name is Saul. And in just a few chapters, we're going to meet Saul again right now. Saul is the chief persecutor of the church. He's he's executing no knock warrants on all the homes of the Christians, and he's dragging people to prison for proclaiming Jesus. But in just a matter of months. Jesus is going to arrest Saul. Saul. And he's going to turn his life around and the chief persecutor will come will become the chief proclaimer. So Jesus answers Stephen's prayer by already, already the seed is planted in Saul's heart. And that's how God's unexpected plans work. He takes an enemy and he turns him into a friend. He takes those who are stomping out or trying to stomp out and stop God's work and actually makes them tools of that work to continue. And what that means for us is that the Holy Spirit frees us to rest in God's plan rather than force our own. Rather than saying, no, this is the outcome. This is where we're going. This is what I want to do. When we see Jesus on the throne and realize that he is reigning and defending us, despite what may happen to us on earth, we can say, "Okay, Jesus. Wherever you lead. That's where we'll go. Whatever it may cost. It's worth it. Jim Elliott. uh, Maybe a name you are familiar with, a missionary to the Akka Indians uh, in South America died at the tip of a spear. He died as one of the people who he was trying to reach for the gospel, plunged a spear into his heart. He wrote in his journal before he died, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, his life, his stuff, his safety, to gain what he can never lose. Eternal life with Jesus forever. Do you have that confidence? Do you know that Jesus? I invite you to, to trust him this morning. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for standing for us. For being our defender and friend. And for enabling us to look at a world and people and even neighbors that may be hostile to us and to trust you, to follow you, to reenact your story again and again and again, all for your glory and our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.